now recording. Uh, shall I do an intro? Shall we do a clap? Should we do a clap? I think it's. I think it was getting rid of my amazing fart noise I was making then. You think the Discord was cutting it out? Yeah. Could you hear that? Do it again. I don't know if I'll be able to do such a good one again. It was one of the best I've ever done. <laughs> it's. Uh, I know it's cutting out it completely, but there is. You are doing a very good face. Thank you. That well, went I mean, on for quite some time as I well. I have been recording it. Well, a bit of it was me trying to get into the tenor of it, you know. A bit of it was trying to, like... Because it's quite... It was, it's really hard to explain without you being able to hear it. You'll be able to listen back if you want. You can let, mm. check out the audio. Because yeah. it was just a very pleasing, farty mouth noise that I just grabbed in exactly the right way and held. And um, the second part... Was it a really, whistling... I, a sort of a whistling fart? Kind of. It was a very gentle whistle, but... I was trying to grab it the second time, and so you were looking at my face, and it looked like an extremely elongated uh, farty mouth noise, but actually mm. I was trying to catch the wave, you know, I was like surfing, I was trying yeah. to catch the the moment. Hello and welcome to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, the podcast about board games, board games, and the people who love board games. My name is Matt Lees, and I'm joined by Tom Brewster. Hello, my name is Tom Brewster, and I'm joined today by Matt Lees. Hello, I'm Matt Lees. And today we're going to be telling you about three little games which are all small. And <laughs> some of them, I was going to say, they're also all board games. very easy. But that's not true. Two no. of them are quite easy. One of them is very easy. The other one is just very small. But it's very easy to explain because it's an abstract game, which means there's not a lot to say about it. But it's still really complicated for your brain. I think it's... It's one of those ones that's easy but hard. It's got yeah. like not many components, but it hurts your head. We'll talk yeah. about that one later down exactly. the line. Exactly, later on. little uh, treat for later on in the podcast. But first of all, <laughs> let's jump into the first of our three game plates. It's like a mini restaurant here. I don't know what's happening. We're serving. This is. A, are we doing canapes? We are. We're doing canapes. I'll bring it's you three a small starters tray. all in a row and then you leave. <laughs> that's the dream, right? No bloating, no problems. I wish I had more of the guts to like break out of the standard starter main dessert trio mm. at a restaurant and just have the guts to go in and like order like two desserts in a row and that's it. Well, you know, that's why like, you know, they call in many restaurants they call them small plates rather than starters, mm. which I think is a lot less presumptuous, right? Yeah, that's true. Who's to say that you want to, you know? Anyway, Via Magica is a board game in a box which has no board just has some big cards and a bag full of tokens. It's no board, all game. All game. No board, all game. It's magical bingo. It's for kids, probably. And me. Increasingly, I'm realizing that any game that is like, it's for kids, also is like, apparently, exactly what I want. <laughs> but I also think that maybe that's because if you're making a very, very simple game, it means it doesn't really have any mechanics or systems. And if the core systems and mechanics aren't fun, then... It just doesn't work, right? It's immediate. It's like... It's a fast way to get clean design, I guess. Yeah, right? Well, it just means if the design is bad, you know straight away. But if it's good, it's all good. It's good all the way through. It's a chocolate <laughs> Like bar a that's... stick of rock. Yeah, right? It's it's good all the way through. It goes good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't... Yeah, no, that is how Sticks of Rock works, if you're not familiar with Sticks not, of not Rock. Not really. I think that that's like a stick. I think I really messed that up because that's like a stick of rock if it was, yeah. you know, it doesn't say good all the way through. It says good, 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 like that, doesn't it, really? I feel like this is going to have to be a topic that we'll have, come, have to come back to on our specialist science podcast, Tom, that we both do <laughs> in our spare time. Uh, Viomagica is a bingo game, right? One player yes. is, and there was a name for this, but I can't remember what it was, the magic person, the I'm going to call them. The catcher. Yeah, the catcher. 
you put your hand inside of a delightful purple bag and you pull out a brilliantly sized circular cardboard token. They're kind of the size of pogs, but a bit thicker, I reckon. And effectively, the way it works is you are all wizards trying to open up portals. You've got this very kind of childlike twee art on the cards. And but it definitely lands on the side of like, I like this. This is cute rather than like, Mm. I'm going to be sick in my mouth. What is going on with this? Yes. And you start off by drafting some of these cards, uh, which you put in front of you. And then there's a little shop of cards, which you can also have. And effectively, these cards all have little symbols at the top of them that represent the kinds of elements that you might pull out of this magical bag. Each player has a bunch of these little crystals, and what happens is somebody pulls out a fire token, and then everyone, if they can, may place a crystal from their collection onto one of the fire spaces on one of their cards. When you complete a card, you've opened a portal, and you, I think you say a word, what was it the word you kept saying? Encantum. And I kept saying Encanto because I'm an old man. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's probably just like Grandad's seen a film. Okay. No, Grandad, it's Encantum. Oh, I Encantum believe you've done this again. <laughs> you, I'm you, cutting that out. That's, yeah, gone. Uh, That's scorched earth uh, on that one. You're going to open up these portals, and then when you open up a portal, they're going to give you a bonus. Maybe it's going to be, you know, and this is very board games. It's like maybe it's going to give you a points bonus at the end of the game. Maybe it's going to give you an ongoing ability or a thing you can do. Maybe it's going to give you something immediately that you can just do. And it's all quite simple stuff. Like maybe mm-hmm. you get more crystals you can play some cards, or you get a thing so that you can use another element as being a wild element and use it to blow like oh and every time a rock comes out i can place a stone on anything i like oh very cheeky and nice and then you do that for a while and then at the end somebody's won by like 80 points and that's yeah, via magic really it's it's <laughs> it's a kind of wild silly thing uh, which is very luck dependent it's it reminded yeah. me of quacks of quedlinburg but without the pretense of choice you know, it's <laughs> there, were, there were elements of decision making. Yeah, there's just enough decision making in there for it to be like a sort of family weight game where like, you know, you could introduce it to a family and be kind of happy to play it. Like it, yes. it says the gimmick in the in the manual is that it says it's powered by bingo. It's like bingo plus because, yes, you do pull a token from a bag and then that's your result. And then everyone just puts that on their board. But at least you have a little bit of choice over where you put it on your board. And you can also move the crystals. That's another thing where you mm. can like shift one. If it says, you know, blue element comes up, you've not got a crystal free to put on that blue element. Well, you, instead you could move it from somewhere else. So there's a little bit of decision making in there that's quite nice and can lead to like... And there's also... Oh, I just forgot. You know, we forgot to mention that when you close a portal... or sorry, when you open a portal, you get a new one from mm, the central display. Yeah. And there's a nice bit of choice over what one you go for then because maybe you could get one of the achievements in the middle of the table before your opponent. Yes. There's like... There's enough there that means that I was kind of like, I was thinking it wasn't yeah, no. like a family weight game where you can completely just empty your brain. No, I really, I really enjoyed it, to be honest. Um, I, I like the art <laughs> style. It was fast. It was fun. And I, yeah, I had enough decisions there, definitely. Like in terms of like yeah. trying to race for those achievements in a two player game, it was like, right, well, I need to do this. And, you know, my strategy basically was realizing I need to get lots of low value portals i can just open quickly so i could be snapping up those achievements but also because i wanted to dominate the shop because i realized that yeah if i could keep buying the cards that let me 
use different elements as wild, then I knew that eventually luck dictated that I would crush you into the ground like a pebble. <laughs> and I did. Um, you did. You did. Which I think is specifically a two-player game thing, though, right? Of being like, I'm going to crush you. Whereas with, <laughs> with three or four with a family, you know, there's less of a, I'm going to literally dominate the entire market for this type of thing. Well... We, you, you say I that, did play but it then with, you played it with a family. I did. I played it with my real family, and it was like 86 points to like 15 and 10. And I was telling you about that. I was going, like, oh, yeah, absolutely demolished my family at this game with like wearing that like a badge of pride. And then yeah. Matt proceeded to absolutely deck me at the game, which yeah. was kind of a karma. Uh, it was karma yeah. justice, really. You're the family that I demolished. Um, exactly. I was also saying before our game that like, because my family played Via Magica and they enjoyed it, but they weren't, you know, like their brains weren't electrified by it. But that's because they don't really like games very much. Yes. And I was saying to Matt that maybe sort of an imaginary family would enjoy this. Like, yes. uh, uh, that's what I was thinking. Like, there's a there's a sort of uh, board game family out there who would get a lot out of this game. And it's unfortunately not mine. And they, I'm like yeah. subtweeting my family here. That's, well, that's yeah, it's shady. Fine. It's it's a rite of passage talking about your family on the podcast, and then discovering years <laughs> later that they listen to them all, and you're horrendously oh, embarrassed. Hi, Matt's mum. Hello. She might not listen to these anymore. Come on, they're, you know they're very they're very board gamey, aren't they? But <laughs> it's I liked it a lot. I just yeah, and I think you're right. I think it's like you have to have a family that wants to play games, which is crucially the problem that Tom bashes himself up against. Uh, for science repeatedly and I I appreciate that Um, and I do also think that yeah whilst I was like there aren't any choices it's just bingo that's not true because obviously you knew how to play games and you absolutely demolished your family and I knew how to play games and I absolutely demolished you (laughs) the circle of life but there is still a degree of you're pulling things out of a bag although that's not entirely true one thing we have forgotten to mention that maybe the spice that gets people on or off the boat will be the fact that you don't randomly pull a token out and then put it back in the bag. You will have a card oh, yeah. which has the distribution of all of the different types of things that are in the bag and you keep pulling them out one at a time until you've been through the whole bag. So it's not actually completely random. It's completely random for the first draw and then increasingly a diminishing sense of randomness until it mm-hmm. is the very opposite of random at all and then you start over again. It is a very so, certainty. Yeah, so I thought that was that was quite a fun element as well because you could look at the... Um, for my fuzzy, I like a bit of fuzz. I can't deal with actual numbers, but being able to look at this stack of tokens and be like, okay, well, right. There's been roughly this many of that and this many of this, so there's going to be some mm. fire soon or there's going to be some water soon, so maybe I'll go big on betting on wet stuff in the future. Yeah, and th- there's enough of that in there that, you know, it has that Quetzalcoatlenburg, like, I'm holding out to pull this, and then yep. something else comes out. Someone else snatches an achievement. You're in the gutter. You're weeping. Yeah. You're no longer the the Via Magica king. We no. we should also I I can we completely neglected to mention this, and we probably should have put this right at the top of the segment so it would pique people's interests. It's right. designed by Paolo Mori uh, right. of Blitzkrieg, Caesar, Dogs of War, Ethnos fame. Uh, so it makes sense that it's 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 pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's a lot. There's basically like Blitzkrieg is bingo, really, isn't it? You know, it's, it's yeah, war it's, bingo. It's, it's war bingo. 64 dogs of war yeah that's good 64 dogs of war i was gonna say 72 storming the reichstad (laughs) (laughs) game number two on this triple game podcast is next station london this is designed by matthew dunstan published by blue orange games and kindly provided to us by coiled spring games uh so roll and write 
what do you do in a rolling right? You actually, it's not a rolling right. It's not. I've fallen at the first hurdle. <laughs> but oh. I think that they are rolling rights. I think the flip and fill thing is like I don't know. Flip and fill. Flip it's, and right. It doesn't. I mean, you know, you don't have to get into the specifics of it all the time. Flip do and you? fill is is fun to say as well. It is flip and fill. I feel like rolling right, rolling right, and flipping fill are like an odd couple in a sitcom where Roland Wright yeah. is very like buttoned up and very like oh you don't shouldn't do that you know whereas Flippin' Phil is like it's like hey, hey hey dude what's up don't be such a square <laughs> Roly don't call me Roly my name is Roland <laughs> you need to get some babes <laughs> yeah that's so this Flippin' is a, Phil this is a Flippin' Phil game um and yeah what a treat it is it's basically it's it's like the hell of the London Underground in your pocket. Mm. It really is. If you had really quite, you know, fat, tall quite a large pockets. pocket. Yeah, it's not that yeah. small. Uh, each card that you're going to flip in this game is going to show you a route that you can make between stations on your little board. So if you imagine a little roll and write board, a little roll and write piece of paper, it's got a kind of grid filled with these little stations. Uh, and if you manage to create a network of lines that connect up lots of different stations in lots of different districts by flipping these cards and putting the lines in the right place, you're going to get a bunch of points. And you might want to maybe hit up some tourist sites. That gets you extra points. You might want to create little intersections. That's going to get you extra points. But the twist, the fun little twist that makes this nice and thematic, is that in this game there are four different colours of pencil that represent the four different lines that you're going to be drawing throughout the game. And at the end of each round, you pass the pencils round and then you draw the next line on your board. So in the end, you have this really pleasing looking sort of overlapping grid of roots, just like an actual real underground system. And making it extra tricky is that the two different kinds of colors of root, sorry, the four different colors of root can never cross over each other, which is not really like the London Underground. Well, it's like, I was thinking about this. I might need to actually mm. do the unprofessional thing of just very quickly Googling because um, I just- Do you wonder... think they built the stations first? And then well, they did the routes. I mean, the thing is, or... the London Tube map is not actually accurate at all, obviously. It's it's just mm. an abstract representation. Um, and I was Beautiful thinking, piece like, of design. are there instances, and there are, I've just seen it, so that's fine. I was being like, are there instances in the London map where you see the lines crossing over each other without there being a station there? And actually, mm. there are very few looking at it. Like, most of the points at which there's an intersection between the lines, there is actually a station, apart from... Just north of Islington, you see the two blue lines crossing over as oh. they should never done. Ugh. And actually to the far right, you've got um, just to the left of the Heathrow Express between Little Venice and Royal Oak, the pink smashes into the brown recklessly. Um, oh. It's just it's sad to see it. So it does happen in the wild. It really does. <laughs> it does happen. It could happen to you. But mostly it is intersections at at dots. Yes. You can go in and out of these in up to eight directions, though, in some of the places. Not all of them. So there is a lot of opportunity for carefully avoiding lines having to go through each other by having them all networking through these little hubs around the map. Mm. And you're actually encouraged to do that because that will get you a, a bunch of extra points if you make these nice little intersections where lots of routes kind of converge. So you're looking at this blank board initially thinking, oh, well, where where's my pink route going to go? And you start drawing it and then you connect it to a few stations and then your blue route, you want it to cut through but not get all clustered. But you also want to service the whole map. But also the way that you score your points is you multiply the densest district that you have by the number of districts you cross. So you want to be servicing one area mainly, but you want people to be able to get from that district to another place nice and easy. 
Uh, I thought this was really nice. It's a really nice little roll and write. It's very nice. It's very nice. The puzzle of trying to fill out lots of stops in one area whilst also stretching that line through as many different map squares as you can to get loads of points. Very nice. Mm -hmm. But then combining that with the fact that you're going to get points by having all of the lines kind of intersecting at different stations and crossing over with each other. Very cool. Encouraging you to basically make big, long lines all over the map, which will just cause you more problems in the future. And then also, mm. you know, you get bonus points for every time the line goes over the the famous River, river Thames river. in the middle the of river the river The River Thames. The River Thames. And that, again, just it's just encouraging you to be messy and dangerous, which is fun of being like, hey, you can get loads of points by doing this. But for the rest of the game, it's going to be a bad time for you. Uh, yeah, so I, I didn't had a, think about that. Yeah, I had a breezier time but, of it than you, but I also did less well because I kept all of my lines quite separate and neat in their own little yeah, corners. You had a, yeah. <laughs> you had sort of four different lines all servicing their own district with no real way to get I was afraid. I was I was playing it in the <laughs> mindset of like snake. I'm like, they can't go near each other. Don't touch the edges. I um, just had a big knot right in the middle that kind of just splatted outwards was, was my plan. It was impressive. It was impressive. I mean, we would say that, say that we are fortunate in the fact that I have an alarming quantity of pens in my house. And oh, so yeah. we were able to play it with some lovely coloured felt tips and the actual pencils, I think, that ship with the game. I haven't played with them, Tom, but you you found them disappointing. They're not as nice. You want that, like, I think the thing that's really nice about this, and it's it's the thing that I really look for in a roll and write, is to have a really pleasing visual when you're done with your roll and write. When you look at your board, yeah. you go, ooh, doesn't that look nice? And the pencils don't give you that feeling, but having little pens do. Because I think that the game lends itself very well to, like, to to looking pretty gorgeous by the end of it and being able to see something that looks like a London Underground route. And I'd love to see like lots of different ones in the box. Like I like keeping the little bits of paper. Yeah. Like, Ooh. And I think you're right. Point? I felt like when we were playing it, the addition of those kind of bold, colourful lines all very neatly moving around and intersecting was very satisfying. So I do mm. feel that, yeah, I, I will play it again soon with pencils and see how I get on. But yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of not exactly a criticism because to be honest, I'd rather that they, at this point, like, for games like this, then we're not filling them with tons of plastic pens that yeah. just dry up and disappear. And, you know, if you are into rolling rights, you can just buy some pens from a nice pen shop and use them in any of your yes. games you want. You can do that. No one can stop you. So that's I a hot do that. tip. Just have like a little yeah. little box that's just full of very high quality coloured pens specifically. Hey, for next time you're writing. down London Way, we're only like a 10 minute walk away from the London Graphic Centre. You ever been there? Ooh. Have you ever been to the London not. Graphic Centre? Oh, no. mate, it's going to blow your mind. It's uh, If you like <laughs> arts and crafts stuff, it's just the best place on, on the earth. It's huge. Oh. It's got two floors. Every kind of pen you can imagine. Every kind of notebook you can imagine. Every kind oh, of anything you can paints? imagine. There's Oh, paint. Oh, yeah. There's a whole floor for paints. <laughs> like, it's, it's just bonkers. They've got graphite? lovely papers. Of course they've got graphite, mate. They've got everything. This episode is brought to you by the <laughs> London Graphic Centre. I love your paint and graphite needs. Every time I go in there, they, 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 there's something I've never seen before that I just have to buy immediately. I had to stop myself from spending like £50 on a small metal toolbox just because it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. It's, it's dangerous. <laughs> anyway, I should I'll tell because take... I've, I've, I've recently just bought a little tiny table that I'm going to put in the corner to make a sort of art station. Maybe I should right. supply it with bits and bobs from the London Absolutely. Absolutely, like they've got everything they've got everything or if they haven't they'll get it in for you but yeah they've got everything yeah i'll take you down london graphic center i'll buy you a pen there we are it's a day Yay! finally another delightful thing about this game is the fact that 
you're not even drawing from a big deck of cards. Were there, were there eight or ten cards, I believe? Ten cards, wasn't it? Ten. Ten, yeah. Ten cards, uh, five of which were pink. And effectively, the round ends when you've drawn five pink cards. So you have this sense of, like, sometimes you're going to have a long round, sometimes it's going to mm. be a short round, but you know at what point you're starting to push your luck and, you know, at what point you should start thinking, should I start trying to, like, do something audacious with this line and building or should mm. I just, like, i got to hammer it home, i got to get to this station, otherwise I'm not going to get those points. And yeah. the fact that you, you draw throughout the game, you draw four different coloured lines on your board, everyone does, and you just take it in turns to pass around the pencil or pen around the table... I really like that. It's this idea of like, well, okay, we're all starting from different stations at the beginning of the game because, uh, you know, start with a station that matches the color you are. So we're not, you don't have that thing that you often have in a roll and write or a flip and feel where you <laughs> all basically start playing and it takes two or three turns for people to diverge. You know, where everyone just does the same thing for a little while. Yeah, yeah. Because everyone is immediately doing something different, which is, which is nice. It means you do end yeah, up having that things that look quite different at the end. Yeah, you have that little gallery of, what do you do with your London Underground route? Well, mine's a dumpster fire versus mine is a beautiful, you know, feat of engineering. There's also something very nice about the fact, you know, you're saying with that little very, very slim set of 10 cards, it encourages you to splay the cards so you know what's come up. And there's only four different kinds of station in the game with a couple of special cards thrown in there. So you know exactly what's come up, what's going to come up, or what might, depending on how many pink cards are going to get drawn throughout the game, which is lovely because it means you're looking at something, you're going like, oh, well, if I go here, then I'll need a this kind yeah. of connection, but that connection's already gone. And it's nice. You it, can really fence yourself like, in quite easily. And it is that thing of like, well, you know, yeah. do I want to push off in this direction, but then give myself fewer opportunities? Or do I want to push here and know that whatever comes up next, I'm going to be able to continue that line? I, I really liked yeah. it a lot. Um, I think it's one of my, my favorite roll and write slash flip and fill games for a while, which I find these days often don't quite tickle an itch properly but this i thought was pretty neat i like it put it in like a a, a b tier an a tier on the tier list i think it's like i need to play more of it but it's definitely like top b lower a tier i think top b lower a it comes with expansion modules as well interesting all right well i'm going to revisit because maybe there's a chance that this can be bumped up to a slash s rank oh my goodness <laughs> The third and final small plate on our collection of tiny dishes and morsels that we're wafting underneath your nose like a CGI waiter in the film Ratatouille um, mm. is a game which is based on another game but in a smaller box. <laughs> Matt's just had a complete breakdown trying to remember what this game is or called. I know what it begins is. begins with a C. The word yeah colons cryptids to cryptids boogaloo cryptids it, right? to cryptids uh versus the gremlins cryptids uh, versus urban the legends. gremlins urban legends hey! all right. <laughs> cut all that out cut all that out <laughs> it's cryptid to urban legends cryptid to urban legends it's not cryptid to it's not bloody hell Crypt- <laughs> i've fallen into my own joke bear trap it's Cryptid, Urban Legends. Now, Cryptid was a game that came out a few years ago, and it was a game of basically kind of hiding and then other people trying to work out where you are by asking questions and it being a bit mm. cerebral. And I think I didn't play it, Quinns did, and found it slightly annoying. But hey, what do I know? Literally less than him because he's played it. 
Cryptid Urban Legends has very little in common with that, other than it still features a creature that maybe doesn't exist, and you're trying to hide. It's a two-player head-to-head game in which you have one player who is the scientist team trying to find the cryptid, and the other player who is the cryptid. So I guess it does exist, probably. The way it works is you have to escape from the city as the cryptid, and the scientists have to find you because of science. However, this is a strange city, because this city is long and thin, and possibly sprawls out infinitely. And this is where this game becomes deeply abstract in a way that it cannot stop being... That's the end of that sentence, unpredictably. Effectively, the way this works is you have these square little cards that are kind of zigzagging in a line. Like, imagine like a couple of lines of a chessboard, for example. And what you're going to be doing is having these different coloured cubes on one side of this line, like dotted. And then they're going to be moving across to the other one. In these, like, between these spaces of these cities. These city squares. In the negative space, I guess. In the negative space around the cards, which look a bit like a checkerboard. Describing abstract games is just the worst. (laughs) Because you can't get into the theme that much because it's not really there. So you have to just physically describe an object in a way which which is deeply quite challenging. Anyway, you have a small hand of cards that you can use to manipulate these cubes. And there are other ways you can do stuff, but there's not many ways you can manipulate them. You've got an option to like split off a selection of cubes and send them diagonally into one square or the other. You've got one that lets you do a kind of like weird, like it's, I always describe it as like the chess horse jump, but with like an extra yeah. bit of a diagonal leap. It's basically like take a cube and nip it over to the other side in a very specific extended L shape. Yeah, that one goes further, but you take fewer. Yeah, then finally you've got one that lets you kind of shimmy all of one colour diagonally, one way or the other. So you just take all the red cubes and just shimmy them all diagonally to left across. And you take it in turns to do these things, both manipulating the same sets of cubes in the same directions until all of those cubes have crossed over to the other side of the city, at which point the round is over. And then next round, you're just going to move them all back the other way and just back and forth across (laughs) the city in a way which it doesn't really, like. it doesn't, I don't know, like it doesn't, the theme doesn't really fit, right? It's like, no, there's no sense of like, why is it that... I was saying to Tom in a kind of bleak way, the theming would be better if you were like, I don't know, the police scouring the moors trying to find a body. This idea of going back mm. and forth repeatedly. <laughs> I think it's it's a very like, you're meant to imagine that you're just going forward through the same city. Because in reality, like that's the way that it's kind of progressing is you're combing through a city. But because players take turns based on what side of the city you're going from, and because it would be a pain to slowly move the board towards one player till it was mm. over by them, yeah. that's why you go back and forth. Um, but you're right that it doesn't feel like you're going through a city. It feels like you're going back and forth through two very specific blocks. Exactly. Um, which... You know, you're not in the in the theme of the game. It just feels like it. Yeah, it just feels like it. And also, basically, the what the what of you're trying to do, even just trying to think about this game is melting my brain. To be clear, this game is not very complicated. Like in terms of you explain the rules, there's not many rules. It's not very complicated. But then when you actually try and play it, yeah. it is hellishly complicated, and it just melts your brain in a way that we tried to play it once whilst tired, and we couldn't. And then we tried to play it again whilst <laughs> not tired, and we still kind of couldn't. Um, (laughs) effectively what you need to do as the cryptid is you need to make sure that you are distributing these cubes across to the other side of the city on the current turn in a way that's going to give you 
most options of places you could potentially be. And the way that works is at the end of the round, you either call out a combination of colors or a number. And then for every square, this is where the negative space comes into it. For every city square, which on either side of it in the negative space has either that combination of colors or those colors in them and no other colors, or has the exact number of either side matching. So for example, if I had three cubes and then three cubes and then three cubes, then I'd be able to put a token on both of those city spaces in between those three spaces, the two spaces inside the three negative yeah, spaces, yeah. because it's like three and three, six, three and three, <laughs> six. But if there's two in the other one, three and two, that's five. Can't do that. And so you need to basically be not just distributing the cubes evenly, but distributing the cubes in a smart way that allows you next turn to move your little heavy tokens from some of these city token places onto the nearby ones as a kind of representation of where you could potentially be. So it's yeah. tricky. You need to be trying to expand outwards and aggressively trying to move that token so you can be like, well, and then this token is going to move over the board onto this side. Because if you can get both of your tokens on the edge of the cities, then you've won the game. However, if you're not careful and you end up like spreading out too rapidly or being careless, then you can end up basically losing that space and having it so you, you can't move over to the other diagonal side and that potential place you could have been you are no longer there and if at any yeah. point you only have one token on the board because all of the other potential routes have closed then the scientists have found you and they've won mm -hmm. and, which um, just happened when when that happened in our game you went oh yeah that's how you win the game yeah <laughs> like, it sort of snuck up on you i think i was concentrating so much on trying to work out what i was doing that i forgot what i was doing <laughs> I didn't I didn't really get on with this game if I'm honest. Um no, I found it I. I found it very abstract and um I couldn't really find a way to inject life into it. Um in, that made sense. I didn't feel like there was any significance to moving these cues back and forth and I didn't feel like the theme really helped it or it didn't really hinder it either. It just didn't really do anything. It was just sort of there and it made my brain hurt. It was the combination of trying to set something up for yourself whilst the other player is specifically trying to stop you from doing that it felt mm -hmm. like the only space for real strategy that i was able to engage with as a kind of like uh medium tier human let's just say was the situation whereby as an action you can either be playing a card to move some cubes or drawing two cards up into your hand and i felt like the only chance where i felt like i had control over things was controlling the flow of when i was drawing cards or knowing when you were mm. going to have to draw cards because yes. trying to big brain my way through how can i make this happen on the other side whilst every other turn the other player is going to be doing something that i don't know about yeah. was sort of impossible for me but that's not to say it's impossible i reckon there was a level that I couldn't engage with in this game. I think somebody smarter than me and smarter than you would have looked at this and yes. gone, oh yes, but, and, and kind of be able to engage with this in a, in a different way. And maybe that would have been super satisfying. But for me, it just made me very tired and I wanted to play Magic Bingo.
Yeah, Magic Bingo is where, where my brain was at at that point as well. I, I think it's it does feel very like sharp, right? Like it feels like there is a very, you know, you're right. It's, it's actually quite simple in terms of like what you can do on your turn. Like the actual like possibility space isn't massive. So it's this sharp game. And I, there's this nice feeling of like each turn kind of presents the other player with like a question. It's like, I've done this. How are you going to respond? And you have this like, almost like this strange little conversation with these cubes. But that is like, that's such a stretch because that's me extrapolating theme where there isn't really much. I don't know. It's a hard game to talk about. It's weird. It is. It's 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 weirdly fiddly to get your head around in play. And I mean, I think that maybe the game would reside in... Uh, if you understood the game and you both understood it very well and you both knew the cards that you both have in the yes. small deck of cards yeah. you have and you both have an ability to memorize like what people have played and what they, what they can play i think then it you know it could have some kind of big brain chess potential of being like well these are the possibilities of what they can manipulate and being trying to get into that position of of chess style like pushing someone into a position where they mm. they have to make a move that they don't particularly yes. want to yeah. Um, but I couldn't engage with it, and I didn't really have a reason to to kind of put my brain into overdrive to do it. That was Cryptid Urban Legends. It's designed by Ruth Weavers and Hal Duncan, and is published by Osprey Games. And that's that's basically the end of this podcast. We've reached the final bit, but before we go, I just very 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 quickly want to talk about something that we're not allowed to talk about because we're a board game podcast. We talk about board games and only board games, and that's it, except for when we talk about you know the arts center the graphics london graphics center <laughs> or any of the many other things i've mentioned passively this podcast it's been quite a quite a loose one but now it's time for the for, to play the forbidden flute <laughs> <laughs> now i've got to make a forbidden flute god oh, dang sorry. i very quickly wanted to just talk about a game called square valley this is a mobile game designed by rice cube brian beckajos and music by pietro frigerio it's their first game and I think it's a really nice little tile placement thing. And it's good. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. You have a sort of little grid in front of you. And over a series of turns, you put little features in the grid. And each little feature will score points based on like what's around it or above it. The thing that I think is really neat about it is you think you've seen all the tiles in the first game. But then it constantly, slowly drips new tiles in that create new and interesting little puzzles for you to solve. You'll have tiles that score negatively when placed next to each other or tiles that only score when placed in certain configurations. And this is delivered to you over a series of sort of almost like missions, uh, chapters, episodes, where each one has a kind of different feeling, a different theme to them. So in the first few, you're just designing a nice town, but then it's like, there are two castles across a river and yeah. one must be better than the other. Or like, yeah. the tree of life needs trees and plants around we it gotta, to grow. We need a big pond full of ducks. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's kind of weirdly hellish in a, in, a, in a delightful way, right? I've been playing a bit of this as well, and it effectively just goes, right, you've got to position all these things in these places, but you don't have control over where you put them a lot of the time. And they all have quite complicated rules about how yeah. they score or if they score or if they lose you lots of points. It's sort of like <laughs> if this was a real board, if this was a board game, it would be like a kind of hellish tier joke yes. game in a way of being like, oh, my because it just hurts your brain. And and. It kind of reminds me, actually, thinking about it, it's a bit like playing a board game on Board Game Arena, if I'm honest, because there's no undo button. So it's just like a complicated <laughs> yes. thing in which you do something without thinking about it and then realise you've ruined everything and there's nothing you mm -hmm. can do about it. Um, yeah, it, but it really is, it is does quite need fun. an undo button. 
that's the biggest thing. Like I'm screaming for an undo button. Um, the thing that I really like about it, I think, and it's that thing that I also like about Roll and Rights, is that you have a really pleasant end screen sometimes. You know, once you've finished a level, the art design and the music is such that you just look at this thing and you go, oh, isn't that nice? Unless you've really messed it up. And then you go, oh, I just wasted some time. But I, I, I really like it. It's like one pound fifty. It's so cheap. Uh, I just think it's good. Also, it's quite board games. That, that it's, it's very. I, board I think. Games. I think I've played a bit more of it, and I think as it goes on, it gets a little bit loosey goosey in a way yeah. that I'm not sure the design is as tight as I would have hoped for. There's a lot less control, mm. and sometimes it can be frustrating. But it's a fun little thing. Tom put me onto it, yeah. and I had to play with it. I find it a bit addictive, but um, I think <laughs> I think I'm less enamoured than less than Sir Tom. But uh, yeah, yeah, it, it kind of looks and feels a bit like a board game, and it's got ducks in it. So there you are. It's a bit like Dorf Romantic, if uh, people know about that uh, PC game that's also very board games, but isn't. I've also been playing the new Zach Gage game came out yesterday. It's called Not Words, and I'm kind of obsessed with that as well. That's a real addictive little horrible word game. Oh, should a mobile games kick? That's Don't it. That's the end of the podcast. Addicted to mobile games. That's my tip. What was it? Sorry? What was Don't the tip? get addicted to mobile games. As soon as you think you are, just stop. When the when the fun stops. When the fun stops. Just do a little bit more and then stop. <laughs> just do a little bit more. Only it a can't little. Hurt. Just a little Only bit. A little, I'll little go on bit. then. I'll go on then. Just keep going. <laughs> the fun will start again soon. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Don't get addicted to things. It's bad. That's the end of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. If you want more board games, we've got a YouTube channel you can look at. Some people Heck don't yes. watch the YouTube channel. Some people don't listen to the podcast. That's fine. You just do whatever you want. You just consume the media in whatever format suits you the best. The Match put out a video on, on The Hobbit Bobbits. It's good. Normally, we would talk about it at length, but we, we're already we're like overrunning. It's nearly yeah, like yeah, 45 minutes of pod. If you haven't watched that video and you can't be bothered, we'll talk a bit about that game in a future podcast, and you can oh. listen to it if you want to. Yeah, maybe we will. Live your, live your life. Do your choices. We'll see you next week for another podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we love all of you individually. Have a lovely day. Wow. Bye. Bye. Bye.